How's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, welcome to episode 12 of X Lapsed, uh, where we are finally going to put Hox Pox to bed here. So uh, I can finally, uh, I don't know if I can speak with, uh, with a whole lot of authority on the subject, but at least I can say I read it. <laughs> and uh, and folks can, uh, can talk to me about it, and I can talk to them about it. Uh, uh, we got, as usual, a lot to talk about today. So let's just get right into it. This is Powers of X number 6. Had a December 2019 cover date. The story is called House of X. Written by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz. Colors Marty Gracia and David Curiel. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller. Edits Bisa white Sabulski. This ain't a $5 book, it's a $6 book. $5.99 American. And this was released on October 9th, 2019. So, let's open this thing up. And, uh, well, we open with the same bunch of pages from House of X number 2 back in the long ago. Charles Xavier is walking through the festival from the beginning of Chrono Trigger, and he has a seat on a bench. He's soon joined by Mora, who gives him the spiel about the uh, tarot cards with uh, Rasputin, Cardinal, and Nimrod the Lesser's tower on them. She then tells him that his dream can no longer be a dream, if it's real. She asks him to read her mind, and bingo bango, we're about to finally find out what he actually saw. Unfortunately, this takes us to X-Cubed, so X-Men to the third, uh, X-Men Year 1000. And we're inside the Preserve, which is that dome the librarian showed us at the end of Powers of X number one, which feels like we read it a hundred years ago, uh, maybe a thousand. Now the librarian enters, and it's a, it's a pretty lush and green place full of all, you know, all sorts of uh, near-extinct wildlife. We see some elephants and stuff. Um, now he's attacked by a group of oddly-shaped mutants, but he's easily able to evade them. He says, you know, they got to be a lot quicker in order to land a, a single blow on them. He's then encountered by a man who he greets as Logan Howlett James. So, uh, duh, it's Wolverine. The librarian begins speaking English, which kind of surprises Wolverine. We now learn that uh, English is a dead language, and uh, the librarian likes uh, likes using dead languages, I guess. Now, they talk about the attacking mutants, and uh, Logan suggests that they're just looking for freedom. The librarian shrugs this off, since these mutants never knew freedom in the first place. What are they, how do they know what they you know never had? How do they know they're missing something they never had? When asked why he's here, the librarian says he's here for her. And no sooner does he say this than Mora enters the scene. She, upon realizing that the blue guy understands English, puts two and two together and uh, figures that he's been eavesdropping on their plans. He gives her a minor correction, says uh, you know, it's more observation than eavesdropping. It's you know, kind of what he does. He's the librarian. Now, the librarian informs Wolverine and Mora that they've done well to survive this long because, I mean, this is a very, very long time in the future, so stands to reason... You know, uh, they did pretty good if they're still around. He then informs them that, uh, it's, you know, the world's going to end tomorrow. You see, that's Ascension Day, the day the phalanx do all that boring stuff, uh, turning matter into data or whatever. Uh, we get mentions of collectives, dominions, and even godheads, so uh, I, I know I feel a lot smarter right now. Uh, Mora and Logan ask if everyone's going to die, to which the librarian says, well, that's kind of the point, but... Eh, maybe almost everyone will. In fact, Mora and Logan are the only ones who won't. You see, it's been arranged for them, well, at least Mora, to be taken off-planet before Ascension occurs. Because the uh, librarian knows full well that due to Mora's powers, when she dies, the timeline resets. And this is kind of new information. Because I don't know if I ever thought about it in this sort of way. 
So, as we know, and as the librarian knows, Mora, when she dies, she'll maintain her memories, but the librarian himself will not. So he won't know godhood. He won't know being part of this, uh, you know, phalanx, collective, dominion, godhead, whatever it is. So, it's in the librarian's best interest that Mora doesn't quite die just yet. So, uh, don't die before the ascension, basically. Now, once the librarian becomes part of the Phalanx Dominion or Godhead or whatever the hell nonsense we're calling it, he will become a god and exist beyond space or time. So uh, Mora can die after that, and it's just fine by him. And uh, I I guess this is almost interesting. Almost. (laughs) I I still am having such a hard time following this. Uh, The librarian goes into, like, this weird stream of consciousness bit where it seems like maybe... For a split second here, for for a line of dialogue or two, he second-guesses the process, knowing that once he becomes immaterial, that he'll never again feel touch or experience all the things that, uh, you know, you need a body for. And, uh, you know, mind's out of the gutter, of course. He also wonders if maybe he should let Mora die. You know, roll the dice on that timeline, uh, seeing if that timeline will even ever come to pass during the next go-around. Mora asks if he's looking to be convinced to which the librarian grows curious, and he's like, hey, tell me, how would you prevent this future? You know, this whole post-humanity era that's ruled by machines. Wolverine cuts in and says, maybe they start the revolution a little sooner next time. You know, preferably before the post-humanity era sets in, which, you know, duh. The librarian drops the term hovo novissima, novissima, which is the end of the evolutionary line, and I'm, I'm guessing the librarian might be a member of that group. The librarian then sort of taunts the mutants, as they were, at one time, evolutionary superiors to humans, you know, the next step. Uh, and he says that they occurred naturally as a response to the environment. But then humans gained control of biology and technology and rendered uh, evolution sort of kind of obsolete. And, uh, but until they could do that, however, humans would use machines to attack and persecute mutants. The examples shown here are sentinels and nimrods. Now, this might be a show of humanity's attempt at controlling and maybe even restricting evolution. The post-humans are, you know, they're beyond all of that, and that much we know for sure. Uh, not that it'll matter all that much longer. Um, Mora is shocked by this news, and the knowledge that humans will use machines to, more or less, keep the mutants occupied while they bide their time becoming whatever the hell a post-human is. Now, before the librarian can finish his uh, spiel there, Wolverine's heard enough, and he decides to gut the fool. I guess even, you know, post-humanity isn't a match for razor-sharp adamantium. So, what happened just now? Mora got a little bit of knowledge, which, uh... If we've learned anything, <laughs> it seems like anytime Mora learns something pivotal or vital, it's usually right before she dies. Um, and that's exactly what happens here. Uh, Wolverine guts her, and we learn that this is the end of the life of Mora the Sixth. So, that was finally Mora's sixth life. So, uh, it's cool to fill that in. It's cool to finally know... But, I mean, part of me is thinking, like, you mean to tell me we suffered through all this X to the third stuff and it's not even going to matter? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, we'll talk more about that later. Now, from here, we get an info page, and it's the uh, branching of humanity. We see hu- Homo superior, mutants, the evolutionary successor to humanity. We see Homo sapiens, the humans, uh, and it says here that they only have two to four generations left, which, uh, that's interesting, I guess. And also we see Hovo novissima which are the post-humans. They're manufactured and uh, not beholden to evolutionary constraints. From here, we return to the Chrono Trigger Festival, and the professor, I mean, he just got himself a head full, just like we did. He comes to the shocking realization that they, the mutants, lose. Mora corrects him. Not only do they lose, they always lose. To this, Xavier starts thinking out loud. He tries to figure out a way that maybe... Maybe he can figure out a way to sidestep all these tragic futures. Mora gives him a kiss, and she tells him that uh, she's known him many times over. She explains that she, you know there have been times where she's loved him, other times she's hated him, sometimes she's respected him, sometimes she's you know just held him in very poor regard. But uh, all throughout, he has always remained the same man. Xavier thanks her, but uh, well, you see, this wasn't exactly a compliment. 
Xavier never changes, and so Xavier and the mutants, you know, mutantum, they always lose. You know, uh, Mora takes him by the hand and tells him that uh, it might just be time for him to wake up from his dream. From here, we hop into several info pages, and uh, uh, these are good ones. These are good ones. These are looking into uh, Mora's journal. The fifth entry regards uh, Charles Xavier, and uh, Mora is upset at how idealistic he still is, even after reading her mind and learning everything that she knows. She's even a little bit ashamed of him for wanting there to be harmony with those who would just as soon kill him and all of his people. Entry number 12 also regards Xavier, and that one's been fully redacted, so we do not know what that one says. Entry 14, also about Xavier. Uh, Mora is slowly but surely breaking him. She's trying to make him into the man that she feels he needs to be in order for, you know, the X-Men maybe not to fail. Uh, now, entry 17, it's also about Xavier. She reports that uh, she had a breakthrough with Charles. Uh, also, they're, put a, they're you know, planning on putting together a tandem of mutants, and maybe that's the original five. There are no dates on this, and not that not that, that would help us anyway. Who knows what ti- sort of sliding timescale we're working with here, but, uh, but maybe they're talking about the original five. This is the first time we're hearing about a team of mutants. Also part of this, uh, this entry is that they need a mutant that has the ability to tweak reality. And she explains here that she sought out several potential matches for both of them that might result in such a mutant being born. And I'm going to assume that this is referring to both Proteus and Legion. Um, And I mean, while on that subject, I know a lot of folks think Legion is more of kid anyway. I I think even a past X-Men writer made that same mistake. Uh... But, uh, you know, as far as I know, and this might have changed in my time away, but uh, Gabrielle Haller is Legion's mother. And and if you read that, uh, you know, Legion quest leading into the Age of Apocalypse, Legion might even be his own father. So who knows? <laughs> but but it's, uh, it's, you know, in story, it is, uh, it is uh, Gabriel and uh, Xavier's son is uh, Legion, of course. And Mora and uh, What's-His-Face McTaggart is the, uh, the father of Proteus. Entry 22 has to do with Magneto, and uh, more reports here that Magneto has been recruited, and I'm assuming that this entry probably comes after that scene we saw on Island M earlier in the series. I don't remember the exact issue, but we did cover it. Uh, Now, she's working through him to get a mutant stronghold put in place, so these are the seeds of what it will eventually be Krakoa being sown here. She knows that Magneto... She can work him a little bit easier than she can Xavier, so she can plant these little seeds of a mutant island, a mutant you know sanctuary in Magneto, and and know that he will he, you know he'll push it through. Entry twenty nine is about Apocalypse. Apocalypse has shown himself; he has revealed that he exists, but it's not yet time to recruit him. Uh, she talks about keeping some Omega level mutants from uh, getting under his sway and. Uh, you know, this is me talking, so I'm, I'm assuming this is a reference to the Twelve, which uh, makes me... It begs the question, does anybody else care about the Twelve? Is it, is it just me that cares about the Twelve? <laughs> um, I think it might just be me. Entry 35 regards Xavier, and this one has also been fully redacted, so we don't know what this one says. Entry 48, also about Charles. Uh, this tells the story of how Charles and Magneto have recruited Mr. Sinister. And this is a reference to the bar sinister scene from a few issues back. Uh, Mora reports here that she was against this move. Uh, there's also a suggestion that Sinister's first chimera was sinister. So we'll just take that as, a, as what it is for now. Entry 52 regards Magneto, and she reports that they lost Magneto. He's back to being their enemy. So uh, don't know when this happened. Maybe it's yet to come. Maybe it's... Actually, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea where this might come from. 57, regarding Charles Xavier. Mora has taken herself off the table. She uh, used a golem and faked her own death and uh, has chosen to return to the shadows. And and we'll talk more about that at the end. Now, speaking of Mora taking herself off the table, we shift scenes to yesterday. And we're at Mora's no place. She's joined by Magneto and Charles. And uh, they have news that the government's been established, and they also have tea. They have tea for her. Mora is initially a bit cynical of the visit, to which Magneto says the following, Only cynics refuse the common kindness of others. They say it comes from assuming 
there's always another shoe to drop. And uh, hey, I, I, I kind of resemble that remark. I feel like I'm being personally attacked here. Uh, I swear I've talked about shoes dropping here like skate 800 times on this show. And uh, I, I wonder if this is a little bit of a uh, meta message here to the readership, because I can't be the only one who's just wondering, you know, sitting at the edge of the seat waiting for something to, for the next shoe to drop here. So I, I really love that, uh, that, that little bit there. So back to the government here. She's informed that 11 of the 12 seats are filled, which, I mean, we already knew that. Uh, Emma Frost has yet to name her Red King, and I'm pretty sure I referred to this as a Red Queen last time, so I must have just misread that. Or maybe I was just assuming it would ultimately be revealed as Mora. As far as a Red King is concerned, I don't know who that might be. Um, I'll, I'll say here that my copy of Powers of X number 6... I, you know, I mentioned that I bought all of these at a dollar sale on Black Friday, so the array of covers I got and the, even the array of printings I got were, uh, it was it was a mixed bag. So I, I got some second prints, I got some, like, fifth prints, I got some variants with just, like, the logo on it, I got some variants without a logo on it, and I also got something called a foreshadowing variant, and that was on my Powers of X number 6, and this features a guy who looks a lot like Sunspot sitting on a throne while a bunch of Shi'ar types, like Gladiator's there, uh, that one with the little baby robot that hangs out with him is there, that Warstar, I think, he had, he had an action figure. Um, they're all bowing to him. So I wonder, could the Red King be Sunspot? Uh, I don't know, maybe. He does have ties to Hellfire, so it's, it's a possibility, I guess. Now, the conversation becomes a little bit more interesting when Mystique's seat at the Table of Power is addressed in the Quiet Council, you know. Charles said they had to offer her something in order for her to take the seat at the Council. And that something is bringing back destiny. Now, Mora reacts, uh, <laughs> well, she's not happy about this. Uh, she says this cannot be allowed to happen, to which Xavier says he knows. Precogs cannot be on Krakoa because if the X-Men find out the future, well, they're probably not going to be happy. Xavier, well, he knows. Also, Destiny will be able to see Mora, who I'm guessing by now has already faked her death, to which Xavier says he knows. Mora doesn't want everyone to know the truth. Xavier knows. But he feels like the Krakoans do deserve to know the truth eventually. Now, Mora questions the wisdom of this, because uh, what good would it do for the X-Men to know that they always lose? Xavier and Magneto suggest that this time will be different, and uh, you know they, they, might just, uh, they might just win this time out. And from here, we rejoin the party from last issue, like panel for panel. It's the same stuff for a few pages. Uh, we also do get a little bit with Apocalypse kind of just chilling by himself. Um, we rejoin Magneto and Xavier on the cliff, they look at their people. Magneto tells Charles to look at what they've made. They vow that nobody will stop them this time. In fact, they dare anyone to try. And that's that. That's the end of Hoxpox. Uh, now, what follows are six pages showing off the new Dawn of X titles. And those are X-Men, Marauders, Excalibur, X-Force, New Mutants, and Fallen Angels, which uh, just so happen to be our next six episodes. So how about that? Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. I'm trying to figure out if I want to talk about, like, an overview of the whole event, uh, or if I want to just talk about this issue. Maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. We'll, uh, we'll just take it as it goes here. We'll see where this conversation goes. Um, I do have a few little bullet points that I wanted to make sure I address, but, uh, from there, we'll just, uh, we'll let it flow. We'll see what goes on. Not gonna lie. Uh, this ending, I, I was a bit underwhelmed by this uh, by this ending. Um, maybe Magneto, you know, he had me pegged because uh, you know I, I will concede to being something of a cynic, but I was definitely expecting a big aha with this final chapter. Um, and that's not to say it was bad. Uh, I just felt like it could be more. I think coming after the absolutely spectacular House of X number 6, it really had, uh, it had big shoes to fill to follow it up, you know? It's, uh, it would have had to have been just outstanding to, uh, to be at that level. And, and like I said, it's not bad. It's just uh, a bit of a letdown for me. 
Um, let's let's look at this as a single issue. Okay, just Powers of X number six here, and not just not the event overall. I think we're all used to final issues of events to be used like. You know, part wrap-up, part epilogue, part teaser. I mean, that's just what... That's comic, comics nuts and bolts 101. You know, current current comics nuts and bolts. Here, though, I'm not exactly sure what we got. Uh, we get more of his life. There's six life filled in, right? So that's there, but it feels so pointless. Um, and maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the sensation I'm supposed to be feeling. I don't know. All of the X-Men Year 1000 spoo and all the high-concept, cool-speak nonsense that we've read, it winds up not even really mattering all that much. I'm a huge fan of world-building. Um, that's... I would give stories a pass... You know, weak stories a pass if I knew that they built the world, you know? Um... It feels like, you know, for a gimme, uh, we spend far too much time in X to the third power. Uh, which ultimately only served to confuse the issue. Uh, I think what I'm trying to say is that there had to have been a less obtuse way of delivering the same information. And I, I hope I don't turn people off here, but I, I mean, I get that it's cool to talk about things like godheads and dominions, and it makes us all feel a lot smarter than uh, than when we, after we read a garden variety superhero comic book. But, I mean, outside the more interesting bits about manipulating and eventually overcoming evolution, this was a bit much, uh, and for such a little payoff. Um, it was just... Or maybe I was just building up more of Six Life because it was kept from us. I think we may have a tendency to do stuff like that, where, you know, the stuff we don't see we assume is just spectacular, and... Uh, it never lived up to the expectation, and I, you know, I was shocked when uh, when this ended, and we found out that okay, well, this is more of sixth life, and it makes sense that we didn't know anything about it. Um, but uh, the payoff, just, uh, I mean, what was the payoff? The payoff is that, and I mean, I don't know where, like, yeah, Mora comes to this conclusion that the X Men always lose. That is the payoff to this scene here, and I don't know that I'm buying it. Um, I mean, this is just as far as Mora knows, right? Uh, now, her gimmick is that, or the gimmick, I guess, overall, is that timelines restart anytime Mora dies. And I don't know if I was supposed to know that. I don't think I did. I don't think I realized that. I thought we were dealing with, like, alternate timelines here. I didn't know that we were necessarily dealing with wiping things away. Um, it feels kind of like a cop-out. Um, it just makes it a lot easier to retcon inconvenient continuity off the table. Uh, and I suppose there are a couple of different ways of looking at that. Uh, we could look at that uh, as a good thing. We can look at that thing as a bad thing. Um, first, I mean, uh, let's look at it as a good thing here. It actually provides a reason for things that we've seen having happened in another life. You know? Fair enough. Fair play. But it fills me with this strange feeling of trepidation here because if it's this easy to do, right, why in the world would I invest in this take? I mean, Mora could die and next issue we could wind up like in the 1992 X-Men animated series continuity, you know? Or, or we could wind up back in the Age of Apocalypse. We could end up anywhere. It just feels like way, you know, it's like... We're backdooring into this, but, like, the door's off the hinges. And anything can slip through at this point. Um, now, I get, I get being able to flip the switch and turn off the part of my brain that, that, you know, worries about this stuff and just enjoy the story. But, I mean... And I'm sure a lot of people can do that. But for me, I mean, this isn't a novel. This isn't a movie. This is a serialized fiction with over a half century's worth of stories. And these are stories that we've all invested time, brain space, care, love, adoration, and, let's be real here, a lot of money into. Uh, I mean, and sure, there are going to be people out there who will say, you know, hey, those stories aren't, they haven't gone anywhere. They're right there on your shelf. You can enjoy them whenever you want to. And I feel like to say something like that kind of misses the point. 
I mean, we heard that a lot around the time of the New 52 when we were like, hey, this continuity is, you know, this was our bread and butter. This is what kept us coming back. This is what we loved. And uh, we were told, ah, those stories are still there. Nobody's coming, you know, Dan DiDio's not coming to your house and tearing up your old Superman comics. I feel like that misses the point, and it's also kind of disrespectful to the, you know, to the folks who treasure some of these stories. A lot of the way the comics industry is informed, just comic storytelling has been informed through these stories, and to, and to have the concern that they're no longer there, I feel that's disrespectful to the fans, and not to mention the, the, you know, the talented men and women who wrote and drew them to begin with. You know, they find out their stories never happened, or they happened in another life. And I might just not be able to see the forest for the trees here. And uh, that's certainly something that I've accused myself of. And, uh, you know, mileage may vary on that. I don't know how I sound. I, I don't really listen to myself. So I might sound like a rambling idiot right now. Um, let's get back to the, uh, to the point here. Now, Mora annihilates realities and timelines with each death. The librarian said as much. You know, that's why they're trying to keep her alive uh, until they ascend to godhood. So, Mora, quote, annihilates realities and timelines. Again, I think this is new information. At least it is to me. Uh, I assumed that these realities went on past her death. Uh, And maybe they do in some regard, you know? Um, It makes me... You know, I, I'm thinking back to House of X number two here, and we, we saw Olamora's lives, the uncanny lives, right? And I'm thinking about, I want to say, Mora's second life, um, where she dies in a plane crash, right? How do we know the X-Men lose in that timeline? You know, um, she dies at the beginning of the Morrison run. Uh, who know, How does she know that the X-Men lose? She died. The X-Men didn't. Professor X came out as a mutant on television, which happened in continuity, and she died in a plane crash. How is that? How is that the X Men losing? It's weird to me. Or you know, <laughs> I mean, we can look at it another way, and maybe she just knows that Marvel would treat the X Men like stepchildren for the next couple decades because you know, well, well, we don't have movie rights, and <laughs> maybe she was thinking about they, that how they lost in that regard. I don't know. I mean, this whole bit here, it, I hate it is what it is, but. It is what it is. Um, now, let's move on to Mora's journal entries. Uh, this makes me wonder just how much of continuity still exists. If this is like a superficial, you know, soup to nuts look at the entirety of X Men canon through these uh, through these journal entries, I mean, what happened in our new reality? All everything we've read is that all happened? None of it? Some of it? It's just not made clear, and I know I ended a recent episode by saying I hope there's not a timeline. But this is like the exact opposite of that. We're getting nothing. Um, Were there an original five? I mean, was Magneto ever a supervillain? Or was he just some dude who had a difference of opinion with Charles Xavier? Were they just rivals and not enemies? Um, Did everything from X-Men number one back in 1963 up to... Magneto establishing his Bermuda Triangle base, did that all still happen as written? Was there a Dark Phoenix saga? Was there a Days of Future Past? You know, was there Cassidy Keep full of elves or leprechauns? Was, did that stuff happen? I mean, we do know that Giant Size at least happened, because old Sinister's Red Shoe Diary said as much. Um, it's a weird bit. It's a real weird bit here, and I, and it makes me, uh, not to revert back to DC again, but it makes me think uh, back to the post-Infinite Crisis Superman comics. Now, during Infinite Crisis, they made some pretty big changes to Superman's history. But as readers, that is all we knew. We didn't know what those changes were, just, we just knew there were changes. DC didn't actually fill us in on those changes or confirm those changes until like three or four years later. With Superman's secret origin. If if I were to guess why they waited, I'd suggest it took them that long to figure it out themselves. And uh, if you've read anything I've written about Superman, or even listened to anything that I've said about Superman on, on various other programs, uh, you'll know that I refer to that time between Infinite Crisis and Secret Origin as the nebulous interim. You know, it's the in-between part where everything was kind of in the air, nothing was for certain... 
they were they were basically calling it in the ring. You know, it was it was all on the fly. Bits of continuity that were considered inconvenient were just left out. Things that they wanted established were brought in, and it was very piecemeal. But it was never confirmed until until that miniseries, the Secret Origin miniseries. All the while, fans were desperately trying to figure out what was what. You know, what fit, what didn't, what remained, what was gone. Is this the burn stuff? Is this the Silver Age stuff? What's going on here? And it, it wasn't half as much fun as I might be making it sound here. It was actually pretty frustrating. Um, and a part of me, uh, the cynic, you know, the, the, the shoe-dropping cynic, fears that were headed sort of kind of down that path here with the X-Men. Maybe Marvel isn't yet sure what they want to keep and what they what might be just a hair too inconvenient. And if I had any faith in Marvel editorial, which sadly I don't, I'd suggest maybe they'd work their way through Marvel history and see what bits and pieces could be excised without doing, you know, much damage to the X-Men. You know, insofar as how they fit into the main Marvel universe here, you know, Oh boy, so are we going to cut out bits where they where they met the Avengers? Are we going to cut out bits where they crossed over with Spider-Man? Are we going to how do we how does this fit into the greater Marvel universe? Which is basically to say, not going the Spider-Man Mary Jane deal with, deal with the devil bit. You know, um, that, that that's that's probably not going to happen. And I might be projecting, but I I, I kind of see them picking and choosing without researching how this affects other stories and. Uh, and any fan who might call them on that will just probably be mocked online for caring too much about the product they're selling us. I, you know, I tell you, those people who actually care about comics and characters, we, those of the people like us, we're, we're, we're monsters. We're the worst thing to happen to the industry. Um, so maybe we're about to enter a period of nebulous interim for the X-Men. Or, for all I know, the first month's worth of Dawn of X-Books might make it perfectly clear. That, you know, what is, what was, what never was, what never will be, maybe. Um, my confession here, I've only read three issues of Dawn of X. And that was a year ago. I read them as they were coming out. That was X-Men number one, Marauders number one, and Excalibur number one. I kept buying every single issue ever since. I haven't missed one yet. But outside of flipping them open to, uh, you know, get the story title and the creative team to pop into my collection spreadsheet... I haven't read a single one. Maybe by the time we actually get through like the entirety of the first month, it'll feel like we have more solid ground under our feet. Maybe. Hopefully. I I don't know. My guess is... Uh, your guess is better than mine, because you, you all probably know. Okay, Mora in the present. She's at no place, right? This explains why we haven't seen her in current day. But I'm not so sure why uh, that I understand why she felt the need to remove herself. I mean, what harm would it do just to have her there as, you know, Xavier's wife or better half or whatever? Uh, also, I'm guessing we're to assume that any time we've seen Mora over the past 40-plus years, she was secretly a mutant? So, um, I mean, was the legacy virus a thing that happened anymore? Did she get it? I mean, we saw in her timeline that it was confirmed here that she had faked her death, right? We saw that in Mora's life, that she faked her death. And I assumed when we saw that, that this was going to tie in with her actual, you know, canon death back pre-Morrison via the legacy virus, where she was the first and perhaps only human to contract it. Did that happen? I'm guessing it did not. Also, I mean, Sinister, he's in Xavier's pocket, so I don't see him ever getting involved with the legacy virus thing in this continuity. Then again, we haven't seen Cable, young or old, so maybe Strife is still a thing that existed and he's still behind it? I mean, I'm running in circles here and it's making my head hurt, but uh, these are just the things that, uh, that are running through my head as I'm, as I'm trying to digest this. Uh, let's keep it with Mora here. She says Destiny cannot, should not be brought back, which... I guess that means that Destiny's death actually did stick. Um, I understand her concern here, but... I mean, we got some extremely powerful telepaths on this island right now, right? Omega-level mind readers. Wouldn't they be able to get a read on Mora and find out all of her uncanny knowledge? Maybe I'm thinking too hard? Maybe I'm not thinking hard enough. I don't know. Uh, now, Destiny did see Mora during 
what was it, her third life? Um, maybe Destiny retains memories, or maybe has deja vu flashes? I, I, I really don't know. Destiny was long dead before I ever started reading the X-Men. I only saw very little of her, and, uh, and my, you know, read-throughs of the, you know, the entirety of X-Men weren't of the sort where I would actually sit back after each issue and, uh, like, think. You know, it was more like, hey, I've got this black and white essential volume. Let me read it in a couple of days, and I would just plow through. I did very much enjoy the dialogue in the scene. I will say that much. Xavier trying to assure Mora that, you know, they know over and over again. It felt like a very real conversation you might have with someone who, like, won't let go of a point. And it's both sort of dismissive and assuring. It was very good. I liked it. I thought it was cute. Um, now, Mora's fears that the X-Men may find out that they always lose... I mean, we talked about that already a little bit, and I, I don't know, that kind of goes against the message of hope that the X-Men have always been about. I mean, as far as we know, because we don't, we don't know a whole lot, but as far as we know, uh, this is the only timeline where the X-Men managed to shut down the Mother Mold, right? Since Mora isn't a precog, shouldn't she assume that perhaps this time their story or their future is yet to be written, or, or am I reading too much into that? I don't know. Uh, her point of view here kind of undermines the limitless possibilities of, you know, this brave new Dawn of X world ahead of us. I understand being cynical, but this goes a little bit beyond that. Unless, of course, uh, you know, say it with me, there are still shoes yet to be dropped. Revisiting the party scene, well, it ate up some pages, didn't it? I mean, between this and the opening scene at the Chrono Trigger Festival, I feel like half of this issue was stuff we already saw. Um, sure, I mean, there's a measure of comfort in that, and it does serve to tie things together if we were reading the collected edition, you know? Uh, but this was a single issue, and it, it wasn't a three ninety nine issue, it wasn't even a four ninety nine issue. This was a five ninety nine issue. And, and I mean, if you bought the 11 issues up to this point, you'd be foolish not to buy the conclusion because it's a buck more expensive. Uh, that kind of sucks because Marvel knows that. Uh, still, though, it, it feels a little bit exploited, exploitative, or exploit, how do you, however you say that word, uh, of the consumer. I mean, really, we get like, what, eight new pages of comics here? Maybe ten? Four in the preserve, four in the no place? Uh other than that, it's reused story bits and info pages, uh, and then like a half dozen pages of blurry preview images for the Dawn of X rollout. Uh, this is really the only point in reading this entire event, the whole House of X, Powers of X event, where I feel like maybe, maybe this could have been just a little bit tighter. Uh, you know, maybe truncate some of the more you know precious bits. Uh, maybe cool it with the info pages and cut this thing down to maybe like ten issues total. You know. Um, so yeah, um, as far as this as a single issue is concerned and a conclusion of an event that uh, we've been following, a little underwhelmed. That doesn't mean the story was bad, that doesn't mean the event was bad, just this issue in and of itself. Um, doesn't mean comics these days, I, I don't think they're supposed to be read the way we, we think we're supposed to read them. I, I think this is all, you know, this is all just to get us to a collected edition where you read it in one go, you never even realize where the chapter breaks are, or, or you know, or it's not as it's not as hard and fast as when you're actually opening up a new issue like we've been doing here with this show. So I think it's a little bit easier to uh, to digest and to forgive and to understand that you know this is all just one big story. But doing it in comic form, eh, it uh, it let me down a little bit. Just this part. The story up to this point, I feel delivered in spades. I thought it was wonderful, for the most part. Um, but here, I, I, I guess maybe I was expecting a little bit more... I don't know if I want to say closure. I don't know if I want to say, you know, the big aha, that that third shoe to drop. I, I, I was just expecting something, you know, and uh, I didn't get it. I didn't, you know, I didn't get much of anything. So, with that out of the way... Uh, let's talk about this event as a whole for you know, a little bit, you know. Uh, we're not going to go too deep here, but uh, for the most part, I really enjoyed it. And I'm very excited to finally get into the Dawn of X proper here. Uh, I'm so happy to be... I mean, this is as up-to-date with the X-Men as I've been in a very long time, and I'm very happy to be doing this, and I'm still having a blast doing it. I do have some reservations, which, I mean, that's just the way things go. Um... Mainly, I'm not sure what's real and what's not. 
or if and when those questions of what is real and what is not will be answered. From what little I do know about how Dawn of X uh, pays things off, I'm not sure I should be necessarily holding my breath for any big revelations, right? I mean, some of the feedback that I've, I've read throughout these uh, past few episodes, people have said they've walked away from Dawn of X. But then again, we've had people who said that they were very excited with Dawn of X and they stayed on most of their books. So, I mean, you never know. Uh, I'm, I am purposely keeping myself as ignorant as possible on what's to come. So I don't know. You know, like I said, this first month's worth of books might answer all my questions. It might give me 50 more questions. We just don't know. And I don't want to keep talking in circles here because I've taken up enough of your time as it is. So we'll just do a quick and dirty what I dug and what I didn't for the, uh, for the House of X, Powers of X event here. Um, things I liked. I, I dug the Mora retcon. I thought that was very interesting. I really enjoyed the X-Men acting like the X-Men again. It's been a long time coming. I loved most of the dialogue, basically everything but Mr. Sinister. Uh, though I did enjoy Mr. Sinister, it just didn't feel right. You know, it didn't feel like it should be coming out of Mr. Sinister's mouth. But I, di- I, I swear I probably laughed two or three times reading his dialogue. It was good stuff. Uh, one thing I don't think I've mentioned enough throughout this run, uh, the art is, like, next level. This is phenomenal. Uh, from... From the pencils to the inks to the colors to the to the le- everything. Oh man, everybody involved delivered an amazing final product. Even even those info pages, they were striking. They were they were just so stylized, and they they really caught your attention. Um, despite my you know concerns about them being over relied upon, they were nice to look at. Um, it's a, the little hidden codes on everything, the Krakoan that they that they put together. Uh, Silva and Laraz killed it. Um, uh, Mardi Gracia, with the the colors were amazing. I, and I always feel weird talking about art because I think I don't know. It's easy to say you like something or you don't like something, but it's sometimes hard to say why you do or you don't. It's one of those things where it's like, well, I know what I like, uh, and I like this. <laughs> This was very, very good. Um, I feel like during the uh, the colors, you know, X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, I feel like they may... I feel like some of the artists were kind of just under the radar. You know, I, I feel like they were just there to fill pages where this... This felt like they were putting together... They knew it was a, a product that was going to be... I mean, as evergreen as serialized, you know, superhero comics can be. I think House of X, Powers of X is going to be it's going to be pretty close to being evergreen. I think this is something that people are going to come back to. I think this is something that if I was able to find a few extra hours a day, it might be something I came back to. Um, but I think this is I'm struggling to think of other other you know recent X-Men uh, events that that I could say that about. You know. Um, X-Men vs. Humans? No. <laughs> Death of X? No. Um, boy, uh, Avengers vs. X-Men? Hell no. Uh, this is this is really good. This is really good. And I, I think uh, everybody who was involved in this should be very, very proud of themselves uh, for putting together just a, a beautiful and uh, very well put together final product. Things I did like. Things I did not like. Over-reliance on text pages. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that on, during our brief uh, feedback segment. I did not like the year 1000 stuff. Been through that a bunch of times already. If for some reason this is the first episode of the show you're listening to... Uh, well, if, if you feel the same way I do about the year 1000 stuff, you might want to listen to the past episodes. If you really love the year 1000 stuff, you, you may not want to because I... I wasn't a fan. Um, this feels incomplete. In as far as I was expecting, I was just expecting something to, to cap it, you know? Uh, we ended this issue in the exact same place we ended uh, House of X number six, which works since these are like two stories, you know, the two, what are they, the two series that are really one, so it kind of makes sense that they both end at the same exact spot. But I was, you know, this was part 12, not part 11, so I was expecting something else. Um, 
And also, I'm not sure what actually happened as it pertains to X-Men history. That, uh, that bothers me. Um, it probably shouldn't, considering what, you know, current year comics are all about these days, but, uh, it's something that I'm having a difficult time letting go of, uh, my concern, uh, about what's real, what's not, what happened, what didn't. And, uh, to, to, you know, just stop talking in circles, because I am still talking in circles, uh, we will, uh, we'll call it here, and, uh, we'll pop right over into our brief, uh, feedback segment. Okay, today's feedback starts with, uh, my good friend and podcasting partner, Chris Bailey, who uh, made a call to me today to personally curse me out for getting him to read current year X-Men comics again. So uh, I take great pride in that. <laughs> he's, uh, he's on the same path I am. So uh, th- uh, you're welcome, and I'm sorry, uh, partner. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been a fun ride, and I can't wait until you catch up and you can see. Uh, and we can compare notes, because uh, we've both been away from the X-Men for a while, so... I think it'll be fun, fun conversation when uh, he catches up. Uh, our next piece comes from Evan Bevins at Evan underscore Bevins on Twitter. He says, "On Powers of X number two, I feel you on the info dumps. I think I mostly found them useful, but what irritated me is I think they were actually sold as some kind of bonus content. Like, not only do you get this comic, but you also get extra text." Sort of the way Marvel used to include, quote, free digital copies of the issue, but only in the $3.99 books. Strangely enough, you never got any, quote, free content in the $2.99 books. And, uh, yes, <laughs> his, his point is well taken here. Now, the info dumps, I mean, I've talked, I've talked them in, I've talked them out. There are some that I think are great. Uh, there are some that I think are not. Then there are... Not quite info pages, but there are those mostly blank quote pages. Um, and, and you know, we talk about... Evan talks about the three ninety nine books here, right? When Marvel and DC, when they moved from the two ninety nine price point to the three ninety nine price point, they tried giving us added value. You know, maybe it was a backup story. You know, I know DC was running backup stories around the time of Blackest Night. Marvel would do the same thing. They did some backup stories, but then all of a sudden they went away. And then when people complained, they started slipping in the free digital copies of the same issue you just bought physically. Um, Then they would do something where, like, maybe you'd get a digital comic that isn't the one you just bought. It's a different one. That's one that's they're having trouble selling, maybe. One they want to try to get people in the the on-the-ground floor on. The $3.99 books, just keeping that in mind here, they tried to give us added value. Here, we're dealing with $5 and $6 books, which, you know, you need to get a little bit of added value, right? Um, So, let's look at just a random issue of House of X or Powers of X here. We have our 20 pages of story, right? But even Marvel isn't going to try to sell you just a 20-page pamphlet for $5 or $6. I would like to to hope. (laughs) I've been wrong before. Um, there was that astonishing X-Men ghost boxes thing that, uh, that happened a while back, but, uh, added value. So they're going to give us these text pages just to, you know, just to up the page count, to give us a semblance of ed, something extra, which, I mean, that's all well and good. I think that's a good faith thing to do. We get like the, you know, the lives of Moro, we get the, uh, the, the description of an Omega-level mutant. We get, uh, you know, the Krakoan Quiet Council. We get those those fun things. We get Sinister's Diaries, Mora's Diaries. Some good stuff. Some very efficient ways of delivering information and getting us on boarded without, you know, wasting comic space, right? I mean, Mora's journal took up two or three pages here. If, if, it, was a, if it was done in sequential art, it could have taken up a six-issue miniseries. And I'm glad we didn't have to pay $4 for six issues <laughs> over the course of a half year to get that those, those three pages worth of information. Added value. So you got to figure maybe there's a tipping point. Maybe it's like, okay, well, Marvel thinks they can charge $5 for a book with this many pages. So what happens when you don't have that many pages? Well, you make stuff up. You know, you put, you slip th- two or three blank pages with quotes in there. You maybe do a page of text that isn't necessary. That's where I, I think my, my over-reliance uh, instincts came in here. 
uh, and I'm so happy that Evan brought up the the concept of added value and of bonus content because I feel like, say, there were ten pages of text of info dump, right? And they needed those ten pages in order to justify their charging five or six dollars for it. But if Mr. Hickman only came up with four. They needed to come up with another six for that issue, and they, and damned if they didn't. It might be a picture of a tree. It might be a picture of uh, of the. It might be a, a picture of a, a map of the Earth with little red dots on it. They found ways to fill those pages. They over relied on the gimmick. Um, loved a lot of them. Some of them didn't need to be, and the quote pages could just get right the hell out of the book. Um, that is, uh, that's the way I feel about it. But uh, I think that's a lot of food for thought there. You know, this is bonus content. And I'm wondering, it's been so long since I read the those three Dawn of X books. I know there is some text in there, but I just don't know how pervasive it is. And I'm assuming that these first issues are probably going to be oversized. I know that I'm pretty sure they're all $4, $4.99. So uh, they're... They might be oversized, so there might be a little bit of a page fill justification done there. I guess, you know, we'll find out in the next few days how that goes. But uh, thanks so much to Evan for writing in. Uh, thanks to uh, my partner, Chris Bailey, for uh, for actually jumping on board here and, uh, and doing the unthinkable, reading a current year X-Men comic along with me. And thanks to everybody who's doing the same thing. Uh, thanks to everybody for not spoiling this for me. Uh, we're finally through House of X, Powers of X. I can finally say I did it. <laughs> and, and people won't have to worry about spoiling me, and we can talk, and we can have discussions. And and I do look forward to hearing how everyone else felt about this issue and how everyone else felt about this uh, event series overall, because uh, now we can talk in detail. Uh, it's not uh, You won't have to send me a direct message saying, hey, I don't want to spoil something, but... Now we're free to spoil anything we want because ain't nothing left to spoil. So thanks, everyone, for sticking around. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this show uh, on a daily or almost daily basis. That means the world to me and and reaching out and and engaging and all that good stuff. But I think I'll shut up for now and I'll let you all go. And we're done with Hoxpox into the docks next time. If you want to get a hold of me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. I have put together a subdomain for this program. It's at xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. That's uh, it's as easy as I can do it. I wish it was a little bit shorter. Maybe I'll do a bit.ly or something. I don't know. But I'm going to include that in the show notes. So if you want to go there and bookmark it, it's an easy way to keep up. It's an easy way to read, to, to read, to listen to these things in the order they're meant to be listened to. Um, but that'll do it for me today. Thanks again for hanging out. And I will talk to you again, as always, real soon. See ya. See ya.